Time is passing. Yet for the United States of America, there will be no forgetting September the 11th. We will remember every rescuer who died in honor. We will remember every family that lives in grief. We will remember the fire and ash, the last phone calls, the funerals of the children. Former President George W. Bush. Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and I have to admit at the outset of this episode that I've gotten pretty much off schedule with our release times here of late. When I started the new series on the fall of communism, I didn't expect to do an episode so quickly afterward about breaking news, but I felt like it needed to be done and still feel like it needed to be done. You might want to check it out if you haven't yet. I also had neglected to look at the calendar and see that the anniversary of the September 11th attacks was coming up because you can't do a podcast like this and not mention September 11th because it was such a major time in our country's history. But I can assure you after this episode, we'll get back to our regular scheduled release times. I fully intended to use this episode to debunk many of the conspiracy theories that have cropped up about September 11th over the past 18 years. But I realize those have been debunked pretty thoroughly by people a lot more qualified than me. The one that still astonishes me the most is the idea that President Bush was somehow involved either by knowing ahead of time or by actively participating in the attacks himself. Just utterly, utterly ridiculous. And I don't need all the various pieces of evidence that people have put forward to debunk that crazy theory. I saw his reaction when he was told about the attacks while he was reading to those school children in Florida. That look will stay with me forever because it was what all of us felt when we first heard about the attacks. The problem with the conspiracy theories, even the ones that have been debunked, is that they still linger in some form or fashion. And every one of them that lingers at all takes away from the memory of the heroes of that day and what they did in the most unimaginable circumstances. But there's another danger besides conspiracy theories and revising history and anything like that. And that is that over time, we remember the event, we remember organizations such as the Fire Department of New York, the NYPD, the Port Authority, all of which were heroic during that event. But what we forget, what gets kind of pushed to the back of our memories is that the Fire Department of New York is not 
one huge entity. It's a whole lot of individual firefighters who made individual sacrifices that day. All of them have names. All of them had families. All of them had people who loved them. All of them had hopes and dreams that ended on that day. And we need to remember them as individuals as well. Now I understand there's no way for any of us to remember everyone that perished. But we can remember some. And maybe all of us should pick one person to remember and honor their memory. That's what I want to do today. Especially for those of you who weren't even born when the attacks happened. I want to introduce you to a man who was a hero decades before September 11th and who remained one on that fateful day. When we come back, you're going to meet Rick Riscorla. Stay with us. When it comes to the heroes of the September 11th attacks, after the Fire Department of New York and the NYPD, the individual probably best remembered is Todd Beamer, who helped bring down Flight 93 before it could crash into the White House or the Capitol building. We're not quite sure what the actual target was, but he saved countless lives. And he's remembered mainly for his phrase, let's roll which was turned into a jingoistic slogan that he probably never would have intended. While we don't know how many lives Beamer helped save, we do know how many lives Rick Rescorla helped save. More than 2,000. Rescorla was born in Cornwall in the United Kingdom and spent time in the British military as a paratrooper and as a police officer in Rhodesia before joining the U.S. Army to fight in the Vietnam War. He was a platoon leader in the 2nd Battalion, 7th Cavalry Regiment, 1st Cavalry Division, Air Mobile, that participated in the 1965 Battle of the Idrang Valley. This first major battle of the Vietnam War was chronicled in Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore's book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, and in the Mel Gibson film, we were soldiers and if you ever saw a copy of we were soldiers once and young before the film tie-in version came out you've seen rick riscorla because it was his picture on the cover of the book how Moore described him as the best platoon leader he ever saw but characteristically riscorla wasn't happy about being on the cover of the book nor about being called a hero because he said all the real heroes died there. Following his military career, he earned a Master of Arts degree in English and a law degree from Oklahoma City University Law School, and then spent a few years teaching at the University of South Carolina. In 1985, he took a job as head of security for Dean Witter at their offices in New York City which were housed in the World Trade Center. In what can only be seen as foresight, 
worthy of an Old Testament prophet. After the 1988 bombing of Pan Am Flight 103 over Scotland, Rescorla began to worry about an attack on the World Trade Center. He had an old friend named Daniel Hill who was trained in counterterrorism, and he asked him to come to the World Trade Center and look at weak spots and tell him where he thought such an attack might come. They decided the most likely spot was a truck full of explosives parked in the basement near one of the supporting pillars. They warned the Port Authority, who pretty much ignored them. But in 1993, exactly such an attack did happen. That's often forgotten following the September 11th attacks, but it did, and Rescorla saw it coming. That foresight was critical to what happened next, especially following the fact that the Port Authority ignored his warnings. By this time, Dean Witter had been bought by Morgan Stanley, and Rescorla was adamant that the company needed to leave the World Trade Center because it was still a target for terrorists. In fact, he went so far as to predict that the next attack could involve flying a plane into the building. He wanted them to move to New Jersey to a safer area in a smaller building but their lease was not up for several more years, and they refused. Unable to convince them to move, he insisted that everyone, including senior executives, practice emergency evacuations of the building every three months. Morgan Stanley occupied 22 floors in the South Tower of the World Trade Center, and Rescorla's office was on the 44th floor of the South Tower. He would call surprise fire drills any given moment, training employees to meet in the hallway between stairwells and go down two by two. He even timed them with a stopwatch and became very irate when they moved too slowly. When American Airlines Flight 11 struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center on September 11th at around 8.46 a.m., Rescorla heard the explosion and saw the tower burning from his office window on the 44th floor of the South Tower. Because at that time, no one realized that it was a terrorist attack and assumed it was just an airline accident, the Port Authority urged people to stay at their desks in the South Tower. Rescorla, however, immediately began evacuation proceedings. He directed people down the stairwells from the 44th floor and continued to calm everyone even after United Airlines Flight 175 crashed into Tower 2 at 9.03 a.m., 38 floors above where they were. He managed to successfully evacuate most of Morgan Stanley's 2,687 employees and also safely reached the ground himself before going back up. One of his friends told him he had to evacuate too, but he said, as soon as I make sure everyone else is out. He was last seen on the 10th floor, moving upward when the South Tower collapsed at 9.59 a.m. Employees reported that he helped boost morale among the evacuees the same way he had done among his soldiers in Vietnam. 
by singing Cornish songs from his youth. Between one of the songs, Rescorla called his wife. She reported that he said, stop crying. I have to get these people out safely. If something should happen to me, I want you to know I've never been happier. You made my life. By countless others, in both towers, his remains were never found. Rick Rescorla didn't like being called a hero, but he absolutely was one, and we should always remember him. I guarantee you, the 2,600 people who are alive today because of his preparedness and his determination, remember him and always will. Now this has just been a brief sketch of Rick Rescorla's life. If you want a fuller treatment of it, and I highly recommend it, read Heart of a Soldier by James Stewart, which is a 2002 biography of Rescorla that Time Magazine called the best nonfiction book of 2002. History isn't just events, it's individuals and it's shaped by individuals. And we should always remember those individuals. On this 18th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, please take some time to remember Rick Rescorla. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you're finding this podcast both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll help us create more content and go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad free. Thanks again.